Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Although company culture has been at the forefront of HR strategy for years, it still remains a constant challenge for many organizations to get right. Is it intimidating? Is it complicated? Or is it a not-so-secret weapon for business success? Let's find out. So to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Scott McInnes, founder and director at Inspiring Change, a business designed to help clients to build brilliant cultures that people want to join and people won't want to leave. Thanks for joining us, Scott. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. And how nice it is to be on the other side of the mic for a change, being peppered with hard questions. It's normally me doing the peppering. So uh, thanks thanks a million for having me. Pretty stuff. We might add, Scott is also host of the Building Better Cultures podcast. So also do, do check it out there, definitely. Um, and as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And look, I'm going to admit it, Scott, I am a fan. So I would recommend that all of our listeners listen to the podcast. It's it's up there with my uh, favourite podcasts uh, out there. So this is really exciting for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a groupie, really. <laughs> well, I, I knew that I knew there was there must be a fan, a fan somewhere, and I found you. So this is this is great. <laughs> I'm sure there's more of them, Scott. Brilliant stuff. So look, we'll 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 jump right in. So I suppose Scott, like we've heard a lot this year, recruitment, retention, engagement—they're all kind of big priorities for HR teams and organisations, especially now looking forward to 2023 and beyond. So I suppose what makes people want to join and want to stay in organisations, like you say, in your company values? Yeah, I think. Look, you know, we we could jump straight to to you know solid cultures that are aligned and engaged and values. But actually, you know, let's not beat around the bush. Pay, comp, and bends are still up there as as some of the main reasons that people want to join organisations. We can get into some of the research that we ran earlier this year in, in a while, maybe. But certainly, that was what came out. Um, but we're seeing much more much more of a shift around kind of more positive employee experience. Employees really looking for, well, what is it that I'm going to get? Because any, any employment contract has to be a give and a get, right? And I think we've seen a real shift in employee expectations around employee experience. There's now an expectation from employees that their organizations are investing in EX. And of course, we've been on the customer experience journey for years and years and years, but perhaps haven't quite gotten to the place where we're thinking, well, okay, in order to deliver the CX that we want to deliver, what is the employee experience that we need to deliver? And of course, it comes back to that old line from Richard Branson, you know, around, you know, let's not put our customers first, let's put our people first, and then let them look after our customers. I guess when you think about, you know, when you're attracting and retaining people, just having, you know, bearing in mind that different groups of people, different cohorts have different priorities and different values. So that EVP, that employer brand, that employer promise, call it what you will, needs to be tailored to the type of talent that you want to attract. You know, if you're attracting Gen Zs versus traditionalists or baby boomers, then, you know, you've got to be able to tweak the the offer. You've got to be able to tweak 
the promise and be really flexible around that. So that would be some of my initial thoughts. Absolutely. And I suppose, Mary, as we kind of said there, company culture, it, it's been on the minds of HR teams organizations for quite a long time now. It's not a, a new fad. It's, it's something that's always been there, Mary. But for, I suppose from our perspective, is it something that we find companies are still struggling to get to grips with, something that they find difficult to get right? Is it something we're asked about a lot, I suppose, Mary? We are asked about it a lot, particularly when there's a toxic culture, you know, and, and as, you know, experts and things like IR and employee relations problems, uh, it, when it when it turns sour and it gets bad and, and you end up with lots of complaints and grievances and investigations and things like that. We do get asked about culture and we get asked about changing culture. And so I see it from two points of view you know one what is the culture what what is the pervading culture there what would you want it to be and how are you going to go about influencing it as opposed to necessarily being able to change it it's not as simple as just deciding we want to be cooler or slicker or you know more focused on our employees you know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done from a HR perspective, but not just a HR perspective, it's a company-wide perspective. Yeah, and I think, you know, interesting to build on that, that thought about influencing the culture versus changing it. For years, we talked about employee engagement and doing, listeners, I'm doing that thing with my fingers, doing employee (laughs) engagement. But you don't do employee engagement and you don't do culture. You create the right climate because culture and employee engagement are nearly outputs they're nearly byproducts of doing the things you do. So do you lead in an engaging way, you know, from a culture perspective? Do you lead with values? Do you, you know, communicate your strategy really, really clearly? So it's about the things that you put in place and being much more deliberate about it than perhaps thinking about, well, how do we change our culture? Mm-mm. How do we change the things we do in order to get to the culture that we want? Yeah, and understanding it as a starting point is key. What is your culture and what needs to change about it? And and I see that as um, needing to change in all directions. So from the bottom up, the top down, throughout the organisation, um, you have to have that buy-in. And that's where most of these change programmes fall down and fail anyway, is when you don't get the buy-in or you lose momentum somewhere along the way and suddenly the focus is off what we want our culture to be and business, other business priorities take over. So I, I do think it's understanding what you have, looking at what you'd like to influence, changing behaviours. And it's interesting that you use the term change programme. Because that's all this is, really. You know, when you, whether it's an OD change or a tech change or a culture change, it's a change program. I was only I was down in Kilkenny yesterday delivering some some comms training for senior leaders in an organisation down there, and I said to them, I threw them out that old you know seventy percent of change fails stat that McKinsey threw out there in the nineties. And when you look a bit deeper into that, why does it fail? Well, around forty percent of the time is because there's no management buy-in to that change. And around 35% of the time, it's because there's employee resistance to the change. And a change in your culture is no different to a change in your processes, your systems, or your organizational structure. It's a change program. It should be treated as such. So, yeah, completely agree. Spot on. 100%. I suppose we've all kind of heard that old phrase. I say old phrase. It's a popular phrase, I suppose, the real term for it, that phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast, which I'll be honest, made me giggle because I heard it from the head of HR of Kellogg's actually at a conference. 
a number of years ago. And which I thought was <laughs> Very quite, <good>. quite perfect. <laughs> um, but I suppose from your perspective, Scott, what's your thoughts on it? Because I think I get the sense that I suppose differentiating between strategy and culture is probably a bit of a mistake, isn't it? They're probably both quite intrinsically linked. Totally. Two sides of the same coin. In fact, the way that you design your culture a more because we, we all have cultures, right? Every organization has a culture and it either has one that grows organically or it has one that, that grows deliberately in a particular direction in order to support the delivery of your strategy because ultimately that's what you want to do. And that culture, eat strategy for breakfast, is, is a quote that's trotted out all the time. I trot it out all the time as well. I think it's becoming a bit of a cliche, but it's becoming a bit of a cliche because it's absolutely true. You can have the very, very best strategy in the world, but if you have a culture that crosses its arms and says, "Eh -eh, not on my watch, it's never going to happen. It doesn't matter how good the people are. It doesn't matter, you know, how how compelling the, the strategy is or the vision or your purpose or your senior leadership team. It really doesn't matter if your culture isn't aligned with where you're, you want your organization to go, what your strategy is dictating, then it's going to make it really, really hard to achieve. Back to that McKinsey stat, 70% of change fails. It's not that it fails to achieve anything at all. It fails outright. It just fails to achieve what it is that, you know, everything that it could have achieved. You know, we want to get to 65% efficiency. Well, maybe we get to 25 because actually perhaps our culture wouldn't let us go that extra, that extra stretch. So, I mean, yeah. Absolutely, two sides of the same coin. One one drives the other. Hundred percent. I suppose, Mary, we kind of touched on it a bit there around kind of culture being kind of a foundational kind of thing to to business success. And I suppose would I be right in saying, Mary, that I suppose getting culture right makes a lot of other things much easier for HR teams and organizations. It is probably one of those foundational things where if you get it right, it does have a I suppose a permeating effect, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think you can ever get it right because it's 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 a changeable thing, um, and you can see, you know, depending on your hires, for instance, you can see people influencing culture in different ways, and you know, I I like the concept that I heard described once that you know, culture is a bit like a climate. And you can have different weather in different parts of an organization depending on where you are. And, you know, certainly in my experience, you can have different cultures by department, by geographical location, by country. And you've got to factor in all of those things when you're thinking about culture in an organization. You know, the ideal culture is where people are engaged and motivated, aligned to the organization's vision, mission, strategy, purpose. That's the ideal culture. That's what that's what we're all trying to achieve in an organization. Um, and how effective you are in building that kind of culture is a different thing. And, you know, it's a precious thing. It can change. Um, I think if you look at an organization, say like Twitter at the moment, you know, a change in leadership has changed the culture fundamentally in that organization. Um, And, you know, that just shows you how fragile culture can be. Uh, And you will see changes for good or for bad. And and we don't know that yet in relation to Twitter. But, you know, you will see changes as time goes on in in organizational culture. So a new CEO, uh, a new HR leader, 
uh, new cohort of employees, new departments, that all brings about and influences change in culture. And from a HR perspective, it's really understanding what you have, building on it, improving it all the time, watching it and watching that whole employee engagement piece. Being really careful about the tools you have to measure that and really watching it very, very carefully. There, that's my two pits. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, I think the, the that whole idea that you mentioned there of subcultures is a very interesting area, which is up for is always being debated because you know, well, if we have an organisational culture, isn't that the organisational culture that we should have, you know, across the entire organisation? I just don't think that works because I think you will always have organisational subcultures, and some of those subcultures are, are 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 driven by leaders. Some of those subcultures are driven by the ways that people need to work. Some are driven by personalities in in the types of teams you know you might get very different people in a marketing team to in an IT audit or finance team you know and that's going to dictate the culture as well and of course overlay on that you know the idea of national culture you know the idea of corporate culture is going to be impacted if you're in the UAE they're going to have a very very different national culture than perhaps we might have in in Ireland or you might have in in the US or Canada or the UK so that that's going to play a part as well the other thing there, just coming back, coming back to the the, the Twitter um, example and and he who must not be named, it's really interesting. There's there's a quote that I heard um, a little while ago from Karen Jones in Denison, who we work with. So when you come back, when you talked earlier about measuring uh, measuring culture, we we work with them to to help um, organizations diagnose their cultures. And one of the lines that they use is that your organizational culture is dictated by the worst behavior that you're willing to accept. Which I thought was—it's a bit depressing, but it's like kind of interesting that you know it's—it's—it's it's, it's probably spot on. What is the worst behavior in the organization that we are willing to walk past? Are people being rude? Are they being disrespectful? Are they being anti-values? And if they are, what are we doing about it? And if the answer is nothing, then there you go—that's your culture. I suppose another kind of term that we hear loosely used, and I suppose we still see it a lot. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, Scott. That term, kind of culture fit, is that a potentially kind of dangerous term if we're thinking? Right, we have this culture and we need somebody that slots into it. Is that kind of deflecting diversity? Just the, your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's really interesting. You know, for me, and I've written a couple of blogs about this actually, about values as well, values fit or culture fit. Should it be more about culture add and values add? So rather than you coming here and and, and just being the, the square peg that fits in our square hole, actually, should you be somebody that's bringing something new and different to the culture. So rather than rather than culture fit, should you be culture aligned? So if you're broadly the type of person that we kind of like to have in our organization, then that's that's a good thing. But I think that whole idea about bringing more um, diverse thinking, being a little bit more inclusive, which of course is a journey that many organizations are on, then you know looking to people for culture add rather than culture fit broadly once they're in line with you know the type of organization you are and the type of people that you hire i think that's not that, that's not a bad thing 100 so i suppose then kind of get into the nitty-gritty a bit more scott and we can spend some time on the i know you've done some great research on this as well i suppose it seems like a simple question but it's probably a big one what does make a great culture it it's literally the gazillion dollar question mm. and if we had the answer to that none of us would be on this <laughs> podcast we all be we'd all be on our yachts in the bahamas Perhaps still podcasting because we like doing it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it is. It is the gazillion dollar question, and I don't necessarily think it's about a great culture. When you when you, when you look to people like Denison, they'll talk about having strong and aligned 
cultures. So if you think about that, you know, that really depends on the organizational strategy. It depends on the vision in the organization. You know, if, if we think, of, and, and you referenced the research there, if, if we look back to the, to the bit of research that we did with opinions.ie earlier in the year, where we went out and asked a thousand people, you know, well, tell us about culture and why it's so important. What were some of the things that they said? made great cultures. This is, this is from, from, from the mouths of the people, if you like. And they talked about respect. The organizations respect employees. The organizations trust their people. That there is that sense of inclusivity and that I can be myself at work. That there is that whole idea of integrity. That the organization acts with integrity. That it does what it says it's going to do. And of course, that then cascades down into leaders into the organization and then into the people in the organization and that, that the organization is really open, that we're open and transparent in how and when we communicate with people. Of course, we can't be that all the time, but I think that, you know, as much as possible, if organizations to be a little, can be a little bit more open with their people in how they communicate, you know, it can make a huge difference. That was probably some of the, some of the findings from, from the research that we did, which, which hopefully answers that question a wee bit. Brilliant. And I suppose, Mary, when it comes to, and this is something I'll come back to you as well, Scott, on this, but I'll get Mary's thoughts first, I suppose. Mary, we talk a lot about kind of intentionality with these kind of things and I suppose being intentional about getting things right, changing things, that kind of stuff. But when it comes to company culture, building on what Scott has said there, whose responsibility is it? And I know there might not actually be an answer for that, but just your, your kind of thoughts on it. I suppose, considering Scott's research, you know, the reality is, People come into work and they want to be treated like adults and respected uh, and come into a safe place of work where they can be themselves. And really, that's not a big ask. It shouldn't be a big ask. Um, So when an organization is being intentional, then it is really about looking with, you know, clear eyes at the type of people we hire the type of people that we actually attract to our organizations, the diversity of our, uh, not just our employees, but our leadership team, uh, our boards and all of that. And, and, you know, if we're going to drive inclusivity, then we really do need to challenge and develop and grow a more diverse managers and leaders. It's really interesting at the moment, um, you know, with the gender pay gap reports about to come out. And I think it's really fascinating that a lot of them aren't being published until later in December. And I think there's a good reason for that, because we're ho- not we're hoping, but organisations might be hoping that people get distracted by Christmas and they mightn't pay too much heed to what's in those gender pay gap reports. That's my, my uh, I suppose, view on why they wouldn't publish early in the year, because I'm 100% sure everybody wants to get away for Christmas and uh, working on this up till the last minute uh, is probably not what they want to do. Um, but I think that's going to reveal quite a lot about the position of women in uh, organisations across Ireland. And it'll be really interesting in January to see what comes out of that. Um, but I think that's just part of 
the challenge for organisations because while there is now a legal obligation to report on gender, there's no obligation to report on diversity and the inclusion of other marginalised groups of people, you know, race, nationality, sexuality, all of those nine grounds. You know, there's no obligation to report on anything but one of them at the present time. And I guess, you know, there are arguments around whether that's good or bad, you know, that an organisation is only going to change in that way because they have to, because there's regulation or legislation in place to do it. I'd love to see people ahead of that posse, really thinking about it, really thinking about the construction of their boards, the construction of their leadership team, the uh, pathways that are in place for marginalised groups to succeed within an organisation. Um, so it, I think it's 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 that intentionality um, is that really, and that's something that HR 100% can influence by being strategic themselves. And that kind of brings me to another point around strategy, HR strategy and HR people and their view about how strategic they are. I cannot tell you how many HR people say to me, um, I'm not strategic. And it, it, it's really curious to me because it's almost like a magical skill set that HR people believe the rest of the senior leadership team have that they don't have. Um, and I, I think there's lots of opportunity there for HR people to be intentional, but being intentional requires being strategic and being strategic about inclusivity, diversity uh, and equality within their organisations, which will impact on culture. Mm-hmm. 100%. I suppose when it comes to that responsibility question, Scott, it's probably a bit, there's so many factors to to culture that affect culture that it is hard to... I suppose put that, I won't say burden because it's such a fantastic reward when you get culture right or, or, or at least mm. try, but that responsibility question is a bit of a tricky one, Scott, isn't it? Yeah, and look, I, is it the responsibility of the CEO? Yes. Is it the responsibility of the CPO? Yes. And the, and the senior leadership team or exec? Yes, of course it is. But for me, it's much broader. It's everybody's responsibility. Everybody has a part to play in shaping an organizational culture that you want to work in. Now, Amy Burke, who's the chief people officer in uh, in VHI, she often uses the line, leaders cast long shadows, and they do. And, you know, we have to be aware as, as leaders and particularly senior leaders in organizations that people are watching you. So if you've set out your, your, your culture ambition, if you've then backed that up with a set of values that say, well, if this is our culture ambition, how we're going to create that is by living these values, then those leaders living those values is really important because the minute that one of them doesn't, you know, you have a value of, you know, we, we treat everyone respectfully. The minute there's a story going around the jungle drums in the organization that, you know, well, Jimmy didn't treat Sarah respectfully in a meeting last week, then all bets are off. So there is probably an, a, a larger onus on leaders and senior leaders, but there's an onus on everybody. You know, you can't just say, well, we want to work in an organization which has high trust we want to work in an organization that has openness. There's an onus on people in the organization to do that too, to call each other out, to say, 
that felt a bit disrespectful in that meeting and that be okay and that the psychological safety there for you be able to, for you to be able to do that so you know i think the very short answer is everybody it's everybody's responsibility but it has to be led it has to be led from the top down for sure can i ask you scott because i think it's a, a really interesting point you make about you know the psychological safety at, at an slt meeting for instance to call out that something's not respectful do you see that not nearly enough and even if and even if we go down the route of saying to teams you know why don't we all agree we've, we've got new values we've just launched them we've got evolved values whatever they are let's agree what we'll do as a team when we don't live the values that can be one way of certainly opening the door to having those conversations because then then you're giving people the the okay to go ahead and at least have those conversations but i don't think we see it nearly enough i th- i think there's still often a fear and i've seen it in boardrooms where you know i'm sitting there thinking i know the right answer i know what the ceo has just said is not necessarily the right answer but none of you are willing to pick him or her up on it and challenge them and that's what it needs. We never got to great places by not challenging people's thinking. Even if the challenge comes and we all agree, actually, maybe that was the right idea in the first place, that's fine. At least that challenge has helped to get a conversation going. But no, I don't think it happens nearly enough. Yeah, I don't see it either um, at, at that level. And I do think that while things may change um, in an organization amongst employees and there may be more calling out of behaviors at that level. Um, I do see when it comes to the boardroom um, that, you know, the construct is as it has pretty much always been throughout my career. You know, I'm in HR 25 years. I've sat in many boardrooms um, and, you know, I've seen various behaviors within those boardrooms and uh, a, a kind of view out there, you know, you're paid enough to to deal with the, you know, straight talking, the blunt talking, the direct talking that comes at that level. And I do think that's probably where a lot of HR people struggle when they, you know, try to make their way into the boardroom because the the skills that HR people have been traditionally taught um, don't equip them for the boardroom uh, and that that kind of environment which is tough it is tough yeah for sure 100 percent. so i suppose then kind of talking to our audience and i suppose we always end with the, the big question about looking forward and, and sharing tips and advice so i suppose to come to yourself for this one first scott uh, if you don't mind so for hr teams organizations that kind of want to work on their culture in 2023 the question i'd written down is where should they start but is there also a consideration there around knowing what they need to work on and that kind of stuff as well just, 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 just ring us. That's the best. That's the best place to start. Just give us a ring or look at our website. We're recommended it too, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> can I ring you? Could you be on speed dial for me? You can. We'll, we'll have bat phones on our desks. Um, you know, I, I think first of all, what what organisations have to understand, and actually, in fairness, Mary called it out earlier on. The first step is understanding where do you think your culture needs to be based on your strategy, based on where it is. You know, the organisation needs to go. What culture do you need in order? to deliver that. Then thinking about diagnosing where your culture is today. So, you know, so what is it, what kind of culture do we have today? Where are the opportunities to to reinforce and grow? Where are the gaps that we need to address based on where we want to get to? And then of course, you need to put a plan in place. How do we get from A to B? How do we evolve from where we are today to where it is that we need to be? And I guess, you know, until you've done that piece of work, 
which is, by the way, the easy bit, uh, the really easy bit, you know, what's our cultural ambition? Where are we today? How do we get from A to B? Quite straightforward. The hard bit then is actually the implementation of whatever that as is to the to be plan is. What are the actions? How do you affect change? That's the hard bit. But uh, starting with where we want to go and where we want to be, they're the two big questions for me. 100% a good start as always. Have to work as we say. Anything to kind of add there, Mary, about tips and tricks and advice? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast with uh, Linda Grattan, who I, you know, really enjoy and follow and watch what she says, particularly about the the future of work. Um, And, you know, there are challenges for organisations around, uh, you know, the new ways of working and adapting their culture to that, you know. So uh, dealing with the remote or distributed workforce, dealing with offices that are um, kind of skeleton numbers of people, attending them and all of that requires, I suppose, a lot of intentionality around culture and about, you know, you have to really look at it and you have to really think about, well, our culture was this when everybody, you know, was present together. Uh, what are we doing about our culture now that it has changed? How are we equipping our managers? Uh, where are we? What are the gaps like Scott has outlined? And what do we need to do so that we're creating the kind of culture that we actually want um, going forward? And uh, Linda it is well worth checking out, Linda Grattan, because uh, she has some really interesting stuff around all of that. Brilliant stuff. And, and yeah, as we say, it's so important to just self-analyze, stop, see where you are and see where you want to get to. Um, and that's, I suppose, the, the case with a lot of these things. So look, huge, huge thank you to, to Mary and Scott for a very insightful discussion there. I think we, we could speak for hours on this kind of stuff, but I think we did well to fit in a lot of stuff there. So really appreciate the time and the insights and the the, the wide range of expertise there. Um, thank you to everyone for listening, obviously. We will catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels on topics like this. Uh, and as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, Get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.